What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Hardwood Knox listeners, we're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after today's show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends. Each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. All narrated by Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's Always Cheating podcast. From Haaland, Zalton, Messi, Rapino, and many more, each episode will focus on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after this episode and check out Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends, wherever you get your podcasts. What is poppin', Hardware Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you with yet another respite from our decade rankings series today we're going to be speaking with the new york daily news is christian winfield he covers the brooklyn nets and the nba at large for them we talk about a whole lot of stuff he covered the the protests in brooklyn so we talk about that at the top we talk about the nba's restart plan as i've been asking all of our guests when they come on we talk about the delete eight bubble there's a live unboxing of his shoes that starts in the middle and then you'll get more of it at the end if you're into that kind of thing and then we get into some nitty-gritty net stuff they're missing a ton of players seven due to injuries and COVID-19 concerns we did we did however record this before the nets ended up going on a signing spree of Justin Anderson Michael Beasley and Jamal Crawford. Yes, Jamal Crawford and Michael Beasley are now members of the Brooklyn Nets, which is absolutely fantastic. We do, however, talk about Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, um, the futures of Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, their developments. We get into potential trade targets for the Nets, whether they should even be looking for a third star. Is Karis LeVert that potential third star? Uh, what is the flight risk of Joe Harris in free agency? We also talk about what they should be looking to do in the bubble since their expectations are pretty much torpedoed at this point. So like I said, this covers a lot of ground. It was a fun conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Please, though, allow me quickly to get through our usual housekeeping notes. Above all, Please, 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 please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us wherever you're consuming your podcasts. Regardless of where you're listening to this, though, we would appreciate if you head over to iTunes, throw us a five-star rating, write a review. Constructive criticism is fine. Whether you want Anything you want to talk about, we're, we're reading those, and they help us out a ton. Make sure you are subscribed, though, wherever you're listening to podcasts and downloading all our episodes. If you have done slash you're doing all those things, we appreciate shout-outs, whether you're retweeting our promos on Twitter or just telling friends, family members, random people in their mentions on Twitter. They'll thank you later, I think, maybe, possibly, hopefully. We appreciate every single one of you. You can follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox, spelled like it sounds, and also follow our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will pop up, subscribe, like our videos. That's appreciated as well. Last but certainly not least, shout out to our sponsor, as always, betonline.ag for making this podcast possible. 
With all of that now out of the way, I hope you're excited because we're going to talk some wide-ranging hoops topics with the New York Daily News' Christian Winfield. Christian, welcome back to the podcast. I'm, I'm excited that you agreed to, to come on uh, once again during these crazy times. And I asked all my guests this. I know it's a loaded question, uh, given everything that's going on right now, but how are you doing? Man, how am I doing? Um, I have seen, I've both seen better days and I'm feeling pretty excited and great um seeing better days obviously because of the climate in the country right now with everything that's going on from george floyd to brianna taylor to the protests around the country uh maybe really even around the world since then obviously you know i was a part of the protests a little bit when i was covering them um just amazing to see all types of people black white asian hispanic uh coming together for for a common goal which has been amazing um and then I'm just excited because, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I feel blessed to still have a platform uh, at the Daily News. Obviously, we just spoke about it, but July 1st was a year for me uh, at the Daily News. Dream job I wanted since I was a kid. Um, so for me to have this platform and use it, um, I'm pretty sure we all saw the stats of how many uh, black journalists are in each sport versus what right. population of black players are in each sport. Um, so for, just for me to have this uh, platform to be able to use it um, has been amazing. So um. It's I'm 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 fifty fifty. I feel I feel that the weight of the country on me right now, but I also feel like, you know, I, I have a platform that I need to use and I feel like I've been trying to use it to the best that I can. You definitely have, and I saw you covering the protest. That had to be like a combination of a great experience, but also I would have to imagine like a little bit of an anxiety filled one just because it's a lot different from covering the league where yes, you don't know what's gonna happen on a day to day basis in the NBA, but you're dealing with something so much more profound and so i commend you for one covering it and being there but that had to be again like a combination of a good but to me just from from zooming out also an anxiety filled experience a little bit man anxiety we we didn't even tie in the fact that this is a coronavirus uh, pandemic going on so not only am i covering a protest with maybe somewhere between 500 and 1,000 people around me at, at any turn, but I'm also paranoid because I've got to have my mask on at all times. I'm looking around, okay, why don't you have a mask on? What's going on? There's free masks over there. What are you doing? Um, but yeah, no, nah, it, it was that was I was one of the that was the first time I'd ever really gone to any type of protest, uh, really in my life, and it was really eye opening, um, just to hear different people's stories, to hear especially from people in the 50, 60, 70 year old range who had mm-hmm. already protested and they're telling young folks, hey, we protested, we did this. And that's kind of how I wrapped up this story for anyone who's uh, who's listening to this podcast and maybe wants to find it. The way I wrapped my story up was, hey man, the old heads are telling us, yo, we did this before and y'all are still protesting for the same things we were protesting for 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So what are you gonna do that's different from what we did? And um, that was really a profound moment for me. And now we're starting to see, hopefully we're starting to see some change in the country. I know we're seeing a lot of uh, NBA players try to use their platform for better, but it's going to have to be better than sports and entertainment. We need, we need uh, you know, a real tangible policy reform. And we're starting to see it. We saw it in Minneapolis, how they're, uh, I guess, disbanding the police and turning it into a community-led, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, watch group, whatever it is. But it's got to be bigger than that. It's got, I don't have all the answers, uh, obviously, but um, it, it's just been enlightening. That was an enlightening experience for me, for sure. And it's clearly a different experience for someone who looks like me, but, and then also just given that, um, I feel old, but again, I'm not all that old. This time feels (laughs) different with what's happening. But as you mentioned, if you're talking to 60, 70, 80 year olds who have, who are protesting themselves, um, does this time feel different to them? Because that might be what's important. You don't just want this to be another thing that sort another movement that sort of just peters out and where it's almost like these 
police killings and these protests, they've become topical and it feels so callous to say that. Um, but then they, they're not topical anymore. And to me, again, just for someone like me, this time feels different. Um, perhaps because it feels like, um, these protests have lasted longer than they did, uh, in times past. And so I, I would hope that that's a good thing, but I honestly don't know. And I would think getting the perspective from people who did this decades ago and have lived through this for an even longer period of time would probably be super valuable in that context. Hundred percent. And if you don't mind me flipping this uh, this interview the other way, real quick, what is this? What have these last couple months been like for you? Uh, I don't know. I don't necessarily know where you're holed up. Where Where have you been located? What have you been What have you been learning? What have you been doing uh, just with this time, given everything that's been happening? Um, so I live with people who are at risk, uh, considered an at risk group of COVID-19. Sure. So I've not been part of the protests. I'm also in the suburbs of New York. So please don't hold God, that okay. against me. <laughs> this, for me personally, this experience has been enlightening to the, in, in the sense that I always wanted to consider my, I wanted to consider myself an ally to the cause, but I was sure. always afraid of coming off as too performative or speaking out of turn. And so I was the... Um, and I would say that this is part of the problem. I was the, the supporter who would, you know, retweet people who I think their voices need to be amplified or who I agreed with, who I thought were more experts on the subject. I would, when the GoFundMes came out, I'd, I'd donate what I could in, in certain situations. Sure. And I just wouldn't want to publicize it because I didn't want to feel like I was infringing on the conversation. And I do think that this has taught me that it's okay to speak out and that it's actually not a hard balance to strike to where I, I want to support the cause and I don't have to make it about me or, or feel like I'm speaking out of turn. And then it's also just um, my Facebook activity has changed dramatically where I'm going to go at where one, I wasn't really on it to begin with, but now I'm going to have the more awkward conversations with people in my feed or in my comments, specifically white people who are just going to fall on what I believe is going to be the, the wrong end of, of the spectrum here because it doesn't, what we're talking about now really isn't a political issue to me. And so right. I think that's what this experience has been like for me. And it makes me sad on, on my behalf that I didn't get to this point sooner, where it was more of this sort of passive support that I do realize was, or now realize was part of the problem. You know, and that's, it's interesting that you bring that up. I know we're going to head to basketball soon, but, um, you know, it's, you have kind of a responsibility to use your platform, even if, you know, you might be wrong on something. And, and half the time, a lot of this stuff is educational. Um, just even on the other end of the spectrum, we saw what happened with Steven Jackson, Deshaun Jackson, how he was just completely wrong. But that sparked a different conversation from one of my my one of the guys who work at the Nets, who, who has a uh, Twitter following. Uh, his name is Jordan Rabinowitz. He, he's yep. Jewish and was just talking about how, you know, Jewish people have to understand the balance of inherently having that privilege versus also being you know, uh, a, a people that, that had their own things to deal with in the past, and they're still working through that as well. So that's a conversation that I would have never been exposed to had Steven Jackson not and Deshaun Jackson not come out and, and been wrong about it. So sometimes being wrong has a trickle down effect to others who want to educate the rest, you know, and I felt like a lot of this, either even if even it's from yesterday or from the entire Black Lives Matter movement, I feel like the educational portion of a lot of this is more is even more important. I just had a uh, I'm, I was interviewing uh, Dick Barnett last night for another story I'm working on, and uh, that was half interview, half history lesson. He was just schooling me on a lot of different things, and that's just that that just came about because I was open enough to have a conversation, just be like, "Hey, man, you went to Tennessee State 50 years ago. I know nothing about what it was like back then." And right. he kind of just educated me on all that. So a lot of this stuff is just being open to having these conversations, putting yourself out there, knowing that you don't know everything, and uh, just being open to learning. And uh, I think that's what has, has been 
most enlightening to me is that a lot of you have been open to understanding, okay, I know I'm not racist, but I know I come from a lineage of people who suppressed and oppressed people for 400 years. So how do I learn more about these things? And it's just been a dope experience for me just learning and just watching everybody uh, open up. And for anyone who's interested, at Jordan uh, Rab, uh, J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-B, had a fantastic thread on the Deshaun Jackson um, comments, and I thought it was just comprehensive, and I th- it just put it into fantastic perspective. So check him out on Twitter and then see that thread if you're interested. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight, or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has futures odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So what we just talked about, I don't think that there there, there really shouldn't be a debate or a, a two sides to, to the argument when looking at the, the macro issue there. But looking at the NBA specifically and the restart plan, I do think when there's this, everyone strives to speak in absolutes on social media, I feel like where they don't want to operate in this gray area. I do think there's a conversation to be had about the, the NBA restart, whether it should be happening, sure. why it's happening. And so I've been asking every guest that comes on, I know maybe listeners are kind of sick of hearing about it, but I love hearing the different perspectives. And so I was just curious what your opinion was um, on the NBA's restart plan, you know, from the, <coughs> the perspective of not just should it be happening, but given what the NBA is set up, how do, how do you feel about that? You know, it, it's interesting to me because there's two sides of it, right? There's obviously the health side in which players are going in and putting themselves at risk uh, for basketball, right? And 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 I understand completely that players have the, the – they, they have the option if they want to. They can sit out, and we've seen it happen in Brooklyn. We've seen Wilson Chandler sit out. Uh, he's he's not he doesn't have the coronavirus, but he's scared. He doesn't want to get it and pass it along to his family. I feel for him. I feel for players like him that don't that have family members that don't necessarily want to pass it on. Wilson Chandler specifically cited his grandmother, uh, and that's right. somebody. You know what I'm saying? That's you, you want to avoid that at all costs. So salute to Wilson Chandler. Um, salute to him for staying out. Um, I, it's interesting. It's tough. It's a tough call for me because I I, I want to think that the NBA has their players' best interests at heart. But if you're putting them in a position to play uh, in the middle of a global pandemic where numbers are spiking and you're sending them to the state where numbers are spiking most, it's a little uh, it's a little alarming for sure. Um, but at the same time, you're getting the sense that these players still want to play. And you're hearing from all these players like, no, nah, whoever wins a championship in this, there shouldn't be an asterisk as an exclamation mark. Uh, I mean, I kind of get that. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's just a tough sell for me to have players going back, risking themselves in an Orlando bubble where I don't necessarily know how it works, but if one person has the coronavirus and they're in this bubble and they spread it to a bunch of people, like we don't know the far-reaching implications of this coronavirus. We're still in year one. What happens in right the first year three, The first year confirmed five. case was like, what, seven months ago in the United States? Exactly. <laughs> like what happens when a player's lung capacity gets compromised years from now after he thought he was clear of the coronavirus? You know, like there's still so many unknowns uh, that I can't fully say I'm comfortable with the NBA starting up. Um, but when you think about the, oh, is that it? Oh, see, it happened. Okay, give me one. No, you know, I'm going to take you guys with me. Um, <laughs> I told you this is going to happen. I got a pair of sneakers that was coming in today. 
and uh, the FedEx truck is outside. I ordered some uh, some Adidas kicks not too long ago, and uh, FedEx guys outside. I've been waiting for these things all day. I literally haven't done anything. Yeah, that's spectacular. This podcast is going to cover every single thing you can think of. We're going to have a live yeah. sneaker unboxing here in just a couple seconds. <laughs> Shout out to Mike Sykes. I don't know if anybody uh, follows him on Twitter. You, you guys should follow him, but he's the host of a pod, of, a, of a, a newsletter, not a podcast, called The Kicks You Wear. And uh, I got these just on his recommendation. Uh, I wouldn't even say it was his recommendation, but he posted them. And I was like, no, these things are entirely too far. But um, I digress. Let me get back to what I was talking about before we go get to these uh, sneakers. Um, there's also the other part of it where there's obviously the social justice and uh, everything that's going on in the world that NBA players want to kind of touch on. And I know Kyrie had an entire thing talking about, OK, uh, we need to skip the bubble because of X, Y and Z. We can you know, get away from basketball and make a statement that way. For me, it's I don't think if, if safety was just the number one goal that the season wouldn't be resuming. And I think saying that, though. It's been interpreted as I hate the league, I watch or cover, or I hope the bubble fails, which which isn't it for me. It's just, and I mean, you you conveyed these points. It's this convolution of feelings right now. I don't think it should happen, but I get why it is, and they should be transparent about it. Like part of the issue is is money. It's not just about getting back to normalcy or or serving as this higher power because we know sports does have a higher power, but it's not solely about that. I hope it doesn't fail. I also hope that the bubble ends up being safer than having these players go about their daily lives because we've seen just the sheer number of of COVID tests that have come back positive since players have started coming back into markets with with their teams. A, a lot of these guys, they're not going to be uh, quarantining the um, during their regular life at home when they're when they have when they're not inside the bubble is basically how it is. So I hope maybe there's a chance that the bubble ends up being safer. I don't know if it will be is because if there's one or a few COVID tests, is it going to spread like wildfire then? I also don't know if it's okay at this point that the NBA has such ready access to so much testing when when others don't. It's it's such a complicated issue. And I also understand that at some point we do have to accept the risks involved and try to live with this virus, just given how it's headed, I also just don't know if we're at that point right now. And I'm not saying that there isn't going to come a point where we have to get there, um, but I think that's where I'm at. Is I don't know if that point is right now, and it just feels wildly uneasy. Yes, I'm excited to watch hoops. I hope it works out. I'm going to be covering it. I'm going to be watching it. But as 100%. you touched on, I think there, it's just this melting pot of, of feelings, and it's okay to land in all these different areas to me, because I don't think right now that there's this clear cut right answer, knowing how everything's going to be viewed. Again, if this was really all about safety, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but there are other factors involved and, and whether you agree with them or not, that is, you know, you do, those are just matter of facts there. So that's kind of where I land on the whole situation is that I'm being pulled in so many different directions. Again, I don't think it should be happening, but there's just, there's so much else going on and there are so many other feelings involved. You know what I will say? Um, if it is indeed about money and the NBA recouping money uh, as, a, as, as a vehicle, well, using the Orlando restart as a vehicle to recoup money, then they have done a good job of not letting that be the story. We see what's happening in the MLB. We've got players and owners just openly arguing with one another over salaries and things like that. And that's just an absolute disaster. The last thing anyone wants to hear uh, when the unemployment rate is skyrocketing, when people are out of jobs, when people are being furloughed left and right, um, last thing anybody wants to hear is, oh, players need a couple extra zeros on the end of their checks and uh, owners want to be pocketing X amount of extra dollars 
or recouping money that they didn't get because the, the regular season was lost. Listen, we've had lives lost. We've had people who've had limbs lost, who've had lungs lost, who've had all different types of things lost uh, as a as a byproduct of this of this uh, pandemic. So uh, the NBA has done a pretty good job of not making it money centric, or even if it is, it hasn't gotten out, hasn't been leaked. Um, so I, I'm pretty happy that that hasn't become the story because um, it could have been a lot worse. Um, and yeah, everything that you that you that you touched on, I get it. I'm being pulled. We're being pulled in a lot of different different directions. I don't even know how I feel about the NBA uh, letting players wear certain messages on the back of their jersey and then telling them, okay, you can only wear these messages on right. the back of your jersey, but we're gonna paint Black Lives Matter on the court. Like who who cares if you paint Black Lives Matter on the court? Who cares if I can't wear Breonna Taylor or George Floyd's name on the back of my jersey, but I could wear the word equality or I could wear the word uh, vote. You know, like I, that came off a little gimmicky to me, um, but I, I kind of understand. No, I, I'm not even going to say I don't understand. You know, if you're going to let players make a statement, everyone should be able to make their own personal statement for what truly matters to them to a certain extent. You know, I, we obviously saw John Morant. Uh, catch some fire for what he wanted to post on his, on the back of his jersey. And, uh, you know, I mean, at, at a certain place, I, I get it. You know, a lot of people echo the same sentiments. You know, police are the ones who, who are responsible for, for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's murders and all the other uh, innocent, unarmed black people that have died at the hands of, of, of that child. As many people say, it's 12. You know what I'm saying? A lot of, a lot mm -hmm. of it stems back to that. And I understand that there has to be some form of, of cutoff of what is allowed on the back of a jersey. But, Come on, I mean, you saw the list of those things, man. That's that's kind of if I could just call a spade a spade, that's bullshit, man. The players should be able to wear whatever the hell they want on the back of their jersey. So less I mean, I'm being pulled in a bunch of different directions, but I generally feel that uh, a restart is not good in terms of health, right? I think we can all agree that players should not be going to play in the middle of a pandemic uh, when we don't know the the implications of the coronavirus in year two, three, or four. I think yep. we can all agree that players shouldn't be playing. But if they're going to be playing, right, and if we're going to all be finding our own normal lives and we're going to return to life at some point, then I do feel that returning to play is the best uh, opportunity for players to use this platform in Orlando to really promote some type of message. And I think also the NBA is kind of a bellwether for people that also want to get back to work and believe they're headed in that direction. Because like you said, right. a ton of people have lost jobs and been furloughed. We, both of us are fortunate enough to not be one of them. And so I get the impulse there. That seems like a larger failure of our country um, for the mindset you know, we haven't figured out a way to um, constructively keep people at home where it's because they are feeling fearing for their livelihoods by trying to do the right thing or because they lost jobs because of this. And so that's a larger issue. And as you mentioned about um, the messages on the jerseys, painting Black Lives Matter on the court, I had talked about this with uh, Yasmin from the Dishes and Dimes podcast uh, yeah. on the last episode. I want to see something because I agree with everything you said. I'm, I want to see something and I would never dare to instruct players on how to go about this. I want to see something that can't be ignored because all the gestures we've seen so far, um, as you said, they could be construed as gimmicky. They can be ignored and doing something, you know, in the pregame or the postgame that can be easily ignored. There needs to be something more active happening during the broadcast. I don't know what that is. Is it speaking with um, people, activists, um, players that aren't in the bubble, like during these broadcasts that are being held remotely? I honestly don't know what it is, but there needs to be something happened during live gameplay to me so that, it's clear that these messages won't be lost or ignored. And that's kind of where it's, I land on it. Yeah, it's tough because I'm not, like you said, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like either. Right. And maybe it's, maybe it's subbing out a broadcaster or maybe it's doing so. I don't, I don't know. And that's a tough call because at the end of the day, the attention is going to be, and this is, this was my initial fear 
Um, you know, obviously, no matter what you do pregame or what you do postgame, the attention is going to be on the box score and on the highlights, right? That's what people right. want to see. People are going to want to see the dunks. They're going to want to know who won the game. They're going to want to know who went for 50. And they're going to want to know who beat LeBron or who LeBron beat. They're going to want to know who the champion is. They're not going to necessarily care about whose name is on the back of what jersey or, or care about what's written on the, the hardwood floor. I still find that to be the most gimmicky thing. You're going to paint Black Lives Matter on the floor. I mean, sure, I... I Thank you, maybe, question mark. Like, okay, what, what do you do with that? But, I mean, it's tough because the NBA is, is balancing the same question we're balancing. Like, what would make the hardest impact mid-game in the middle yep. of, of the game that uh, people can't ignore? Maybe it's something. Maybe they have something that happens on the broadcast where there's a banner that goes across. I don't I don't necessarily know. Maybe it's someone that they bring on to interview during the game, yep. kind of like how they have courtside interviews with I don't know. Uh, you know how they have mid-game interviews with the head coach yes. or they like cut away to, to talk to whoever during them or like an assistant coach or something like that. Maybe then they have a cutaway to deal with the police chief in Minneapolis to talk about how, how they're being active. You know, and, and they, I'm sure the guys in the NBA are a lot smarter than me. You know, like I'm not afraid to admit that. So I'm sure they've got a lot of different ideas going on, but uh, it can't just be uh giving players something to put on the back of their jersey and writing Black Lives Matter on the floor. And I doubt it's going to be. I'm really excited to see what they do because I know the players have been trying to do something. I know the coaches association is also trying to do something separate. I'm sure the NBA as an entire league is trying to do something. And then we've seen uh, individual efforts. We saw the Thunder partner with the Tulsa. Uh, I forget what exactly it was that they did, but they partnered with the Tulsa educational system. I don't know. I got to look into exactly what they're doing. Uh, we saw Bradley Beal give out scholarships for kids to go to Howard and Hampton and, and North Carolina Central and Norfolk State uh, for really, you know, Hampton is my alma mater. So shout out to the kid that's going there. Um, but I, I want to see more of that. I want to see more players take initiative on their own. Um, we're seeing Kyrie Irving. I'm going to be glued to my TV today. He's doing a documentary on Breonna Taylor tonight. Can't wait to see that. Um, I just want to see more of that. I feel like every NBA player is, I think once, once an NBA player signs a contract, they're automatically moving up into the top, I don't know what percent of, of earners in this country. And I'd love to see them take some of that money individually and really make a statement with that. And it, whether it be a charitable donation, whether it be starting something for, or, or helping some kids out, you know, they got I think it has to start on the individual level. And I think we're seeing some of it, but we need to see more. And uh, so the thing you mentioned about OKC, I brought it up. They announced a Thunder Fellows program along with CAA Sports, um, which is basically the goal is to unlock new career opportunities for black students in Tulsa. And they're going to emphasize um, data analytics and creating pipelines for jobs in sports, entertainment, and tech. And so that's a really cool thing. And as you acknowledged, it's easy for you know us to sit here and say that these things need to be better. Uh, the hope is that just like we know, you know, if we're going to criticize the NBA's return, we also have to know that they have the resources and have definitely gone through a certain level of risk assessment. Their plan has been mostly complemented by uh, epidemiologists, which is which is huge. Uh, it's more right. so; it's less about the bubble and what's and more about what's happening outside it and about the individuals within it. Can you trust them to do the right thing? And then with this issue, is it's easy for me to say, yeah, they need to do more. Uh, if I'm not going to come up with a suggestion, I guess that rings a little hollow. Right. The hope, though, is that you have more creative minds than mine um, <laughs> in, from the NBA and the players union putting their heads together and figuring out a way. And you know, maybe one of the most powerful things would be we see a lot of, you know, whether they're cookie cutter statements or really profound ones from from teams, they seem to originate more from players. What if these um, team, you know, team chairman, if, if you have them really come out in support of their players, that might actually mean a boatload more than some of the, the cookie cutter stuff that we're seeing now. I don't know, though, but that's a definitely... 
I'm hoping it's a discussion. I'm sure it's one that's happening internally right now. I'm wondering if we can all agree that the Chicago bubble just shouldn't be happening with the yeah. Elite Eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not that's that sounds like a glorified summer league to me, and I don't think there needs to be any time. Like these teams are eliminated from the playoffs. There's no reason for them to be playing. There's no reason to expose them to the coronavirus. Now, I, I understand why a team might want to to play some of their guys. Obviously, a lot of these teams that are missing out. These are our teams on the younger end that maybe want to develop their players that maybe want to see, you know, we're entering free agency. Do we have anything left in, in this prospect? If the Knicks are going, what does Kevin Knox have in the tank, right? What does RJ Byron have? Is he a guy we can build around or is he just another top pick that doesn't pan out? Are we, is he somebody that we might try to include in a trade or is he somebody that we want to keep in and keep around for a little longer? So I understand it from a basketball perspective. Obviously, you want to have as much time. You've got all these other teams that are playing. Uh, we still want to. Uh, we still want to. You know, scout some of our players, see if they're part of the long-term vision. Maybe develop them over these next eight to ten games, or however many games. But at the end of the day, it's just careless, right? You're putting players in a position to where there's no, there's no reason to play. They're not playing for anything, like right? the number one pick or something, <laughs> right? It's not like there's anything tangible attached to it. And then on top of that, it's 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 just not a smart idea. You've got the coronavirus pandemic, which is obviously either in the, the second uptick of the first wave or in the second wave, we don't know yet. We still got people dying. We've still got cases. We've got more NBA players testing positive by the day. Um, and you want to restart the, the, the season for teams that aren't playing for anything in Chicago, one of the bigger cities in the country. I, I, I don't think it's a smart idea. Uh, I don't think it'd be a smart idea if they did it in Albuquerque. You know, it, yeah. it just doesn't make sense to me. And uh, I don't think they should do it. And look, there maybe it will be useful for some teams, but there's also going to be, you know, there's only eight of them. But I feel like there's, especially if you look at the Golden State Warriors, they're not playing Steph or Draymond in a WBA bubble. Uh, And would the Knicks even play RJ Barrett? Because if they give him, if it's eight games, could that do more harm than good for uh, his public perception if he's just super rusty and doesn't play well? And so there could be instances of that as well. And who's going to be really invested in watching? the Hornets versus the Santa Cruz Warriors at that point. It just doesn't seem like I'm with you. There doesn't seem to be a real incentive. I'd rather see these teams be able to hold mini camps. And I understand the thought process that maybe they'd be safer if they go through the bubble protocol uh, in Chicago, but we also don't know if it ends up being safer. That might be something to monitor in, in Florida before you can make that that decision for, for the other eight teams that you want to send to Chicago. Right. And then there's the other side of the, of the, I was going to say the bubble, but there's the other side of the equation as well. And something that a lot of guys have spoken about. Um, what if a player gets hurt in this Orlando bubble or in a, right. in a Chicago bubble and it's a serious injury and that guy's about to be a free agent, just got put back onto the floor for no reason. And now he's probably not going to get another contract because he put his life on the line. Uh, and then maybe catches the coronavirus on top of that. Like there are a lot of worst case scenarios the NBA could avoid by really just not. I mean, that goes for for Orlando as well. But if a player gets a season ending injury or career threatening injury in yep. the Chicago bubble, that is a terrible, a terrible thing to happen. That's, it'd be a ter- it'd be terrible optics for the NBA. So I don't think it's worth it um, for them to, to resume the season in Chicago, let alone Orlando. Um, but at the end of the day, the NBA is going to do what it wants to do. And if it, if it resumes the season in Chicago, it's going to be a very hard sell to tell me that this doesn't have to do with money, right? If you're yeah. taking eight playoffs, if you're taking eight non playoff teams and you're going to put 
the Charlotte Hornets against the Santa Cruz Warriors, you, I'm immediately thinking, okay, you obviously want this money. And I, I mean, honestly, I understand from a certain a certain standpoint, you know, all these NBA owners are businessmen, they're entrepreneurs, and they're losing money, not playing games. I understand it. You know, I, I, I see both sides. But at the end of the day, this is like, you see what's happening. I touched on it about the MLB stuff. You see what's happening. It'd be just a terrible way uh, to go out if, if the story becomes these guys are greedy and putting and risking their players' health and livelihood for, for a couple extra zeros uh, in the middle of a global pandemic. So I just don't think it's worth it. And look, these things are collectively bargained. So you can say that the players would want to do it as well. But after seeing the reaction from some of the players um, about going to um, Disney, but looking at what Jason Tatum said about having to leave his family and just feeling right. unsettled, it makes me, again, I know these are collectively bargained. I know the players want their money too. There's also nothing wrong with saying that. Uh, it just, it makes me feel even less okay insofar as I ever would have been okay with that Elite Eight bubble actually happening. Yeah, it's, man, I, I'm I'm just hoping that they don't go through with the Chicago restart. I understand that, it, that I said, like I said, I see all sides of this thing, man, but I just don't think it's a good idea. Um, I, I do uh, feel for the reporters that are going to Orlando. Um, they're going to have uh, – it's an interesting experience. I know Malika Andrews is one of them that's down there already now, and she's kind of like a, a guinea pig in the bubble. So I'm, I'm, shout-outs to Malika. Um, but, man, it, it, this is going to be a real eye-opener the next couple months. I, I really hope everything is okay uh, with a lot of the different players, especially the ones that are soon to be fathers. Um Garrett Temple is expecting a kid in September. Um, I know. I, I, I think mean, Mike Conley doubt, said it. Is he expecting two? Did I see that? I possibly. Remember. I mean, number one, I doubt the Nets make it to September, let alone <laughs> past the first couple of weeks in, in August. But uh, you know, there's that. Um, and then someone else is expecting a child, and they might. Go, I think is it Gordon Hayward? Is Gordon Hayward expecting a kid? He's yeah, she's, he's expecting yeah. a daughter, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and just guys like that, because once you leave, I'm pretty sure you can't get back in. So I feel for guys that are going to have to make that type of decision. Um, but it's obviously no decision. You either playing in the Orlando bubble or go see the birth of your child. I pick the birth of my child every trip. And I do think they're allowed back in, but it's the, you have to go through that protracted quarantine process all over. Right, the right. And a guy like Gordon Hayward, if you leave and come back, you got to wait. I don't know how many days your team might be gone by then. So it's going to be interesting because the Celtics are a team that I think can shock a couple people, a couple other teams, if everybody's healthy. Um, and if Gordon Hayward leaves at the at just the worst moment, uh, that could really put them in jeopardy. But I mean, at the same time. They're all, everybody's in jeopardy right now, so I don't. It, it's it's a lot going on. It's almost too much for your brain to process at one time. That's, but I guess that's why they they put us in these positions, right? That's why I'm here. That's why you're there, so that we can try to make the most sense of what we can. That is the best way to put it, though. Is it's too much to process. And again, even if you don't like, it sounds like we we don't believe that necessarily the season should be resuming. The hope is that it can resume and everything's just that this works. That is the exactly that is the actual hope. Um, are you ready to answer some? questions though about the brooklyn nets who are <laughs> incredibly topical at the moment absolutely so oh, we knew kyrie irving and kevin durant weren't going to be playing and now you don't have spencer dimwitty you don't have deandre jordan or wilson chandler um nicholas claxton as well tory and prince uh, who else am i forgetting at this point wilson chandler i think i said him already um let me run through the list there's seven that are out so we got kevin durant kyrie irving wilson chandler deandre jordan spencer dimwitty uh, Nick Claxton, and there's one more, Torian Prince. Yeah, that's seven. So to spin it in a – that's a, a totally unfortunate situation. Uh, sure. And you respect someone like Wilson Chandler who's just choosing to stay out of the bubble for safety reasons, as you mentioned before. What should we be watching for in Disney from the Nets now, knowing that their immediate expectations – they're kind of already out the window because you wouldn't have Kyrie or KD, <laughs> but now they're just gone. And so what is – 
what should we be watching for? Is there maybe an offbeat player worth keeping an eye on for them? Is there anything that you're going to be looking at specifically through all this? Hundred percent. Um, you know, the other player they're not the other person they're not going down to Orlando with is Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson got fired, well, parted ways mutually, quote unquote, three to three <laughs> games before the uh the regular season is over. So one guy we've got to really look out for is Jacques Vaughn. Now, I don't think Jacques Vaughn has a chance in hell at keeping the coach the Nets coping job. Wow, coaching way to ruin one Jacques of the Vaughn. future questions. Love <laughs> love him as a guy, great guy. I would love nothing more than the Nets to co-sign another black head coach, making it eight out of thirty teams. Uh, to have a black head coach coaching majority black players. But if you just look at Jacques Vaughn's resume and what he did in Orlando, and I don't even really want to get on him for things that, he, that happened in Orlando because Rob Henningen was running the show and it was just a complete disaster while that guy was in charge. But I mean, if, if you're building a team that is supposed to be a championship contender, you want a coach with some sort of championship pedigree, right? And Jacques Vaughn has championship pedigree. He's won one uh, in San Antonio. He's played on championship contenders. I think he was a championship contender with the Jazz. Uh, he played on the Nets with some champions. He played on, they didn't win, but I don't think he was even there for the championship run, but he played with them in the aftermath of the of the Jason Kidd. And, and, uh, and oh man, that was a great team. That Those Nets were a lot of fun to watch. Um, but, I miss those you really got to look out for Jacques Vaughn and what he's going to implement in this in this Orlando bubble. Because as much as Sean Marks is going to say wins and losses don't matter uh, as it pertains to the coaching hire, the coaching search, that's that's I don't even know if I can curse. That's hogwash, right? We know that's not true. With Jacques Vaughn, we needs to win as many games as he can. Now, mind you, he's all NBA's only undefeated head coach. He's got two wins. He beat the Bulls, and then he beat he went to LA and he beat the Lakers. I think that can't go under the radar. He. He coached a team that went to Los Angeles and beat a fully healthy LeBron James, Anthony Davis-led Los Angeles Lakers team. That's as impressive as it gets. But what is he going to do with this team of, of – <laughs> it's not even really a team right now at this point. You're going to have Karis LeVert running the point guard. After that, you're going to have – the starting lineup is probably going to be Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, Garrett Temple. I don't know what power forward they're going to put in there. Probably some guy whose name you can't pronounce, like Rodion's Kuruks. Probably going to put him at the four and Jared Allen at the five. You've got no help other than Tyler Johnson and Chris Chiosa coming off the bench. And then after that, you're just grabbing guys that you can find on the market. I wrote today in a piece that went online at NewYorkDailyNews.com today about four different guys uh, that the Nets could sign. Um, one of them, you know, obviously there's a, a big gap at point guard. I thought Tim Frazier would be a great pickup. I think Tim Frazier the guy who's falling under the radar. He's undersized, but he can move the ball. He can hit the three at a good rate. Um, another guy, obviously, if Isaiah Thomas is out there, the Nets need all the scoring they can get. So maybe you give Isaiah Thomas a flyer. But at this point in the Nets' life cycle, um, they're not going to be able to convince veterans to come out of free agency to play for them. No veteran, like, like they, they have a hole at center. You're not going to get Pau Gasol for eight games <laughs> and a first-round exit, right? 39-year-old Pau Gasol is looking at the Nets like, no, thank you. Maybe a team like the Bucks or the Trailblazers or somebody else with a legitimate chance at upsetting in the first round could, mm-hmm. but the Nets aren't going to be able to get guys like that. So I think we're going to – a lot of the spotlight is going to be on Jacques Vaughn and what he's and how he's able to maximize what he's been given. given. Listen, Jacques Vaughn's been dealt the worst possible hand for a guy in his position. Uh, he's going into an Orlando bubble, uh, exposing himself to the coronavirus already. Uh, he's going to be short seven. He's not going to have any starters. Your best guy out there is going to be Karis LeVert. Love Karis LeVert. Uh, hope he can be the third piece in, in Brooklyn. But honestly, he may end up being a trade chip. We don't know. Um, and then on top of that, you're going to be playing with 
guys that you're picking up off the street, guys who otherwise wouldn't be on an NBA roster. It's going to be a tough sell. Um, but to get back to your question, uh, guys, you should watch. Karis LeVert is number one. He's got something to prove, and that's that he can be that third star that Kyrie Irving was talking about. Spotlight's on him. I'm not saying he's got to go for 50 every night, but he's got to put up 49. And uh, from that point, <laughs> it's it's going to be hard. Um, other than that, Jared Allen's another guy who's got something to prove. Listen, Jacques Vaughn took over. First thing he did was put DeAndre Jordan in the starting lineup and bench Jared Allen. I asked him about that. And he was like, hey, man, look, I know what I can bring. I know what I can bring to a to an NBA team. I've done it for two years. So the more so Orlando is going to be him trying to remind everybody what he can do. Um, I think Chris Chioza is another guy to look at who really came on strong in the last few games of the season before the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, he's kind of reminds you of Fred Van Vliet, not just in the way that he looks. I mean, they have similar profiles, but in the way that they play, they're tough, a uh, little undersized, can shoot the three. Uh, Fred's a little bit a little bit bigger and can play a, li- a lot tougher defense. But uh, Chris Chioza is a guy, the Nets are going to need scoring. And uh, anyone who can bring, I think losing Torian Prince was a devastating blow because the Nets put in Wilson Chandler as a starting four. And Wilson Chandler was shooting the ball particularly poor, but he was a good defender. Torian Prince is inconsistent, but he can get you some buckets. Um, and losing him is, is a blow. It's going to be tough. The Nets don't really have much to choose from. You're going to see Garrett Temple handling the ball. Love Garrett Temple, one of the, one of the better guys, just like one of the better men in the NBA but there's only but so much you can ask him to do. And there's only but so much we can ask of these Brooklyn Nets. I don't think anyone is expecting them to upset anybody. I don't think anyone's expecting them to win more than three games out of their eight in the Orlando bubble. Um, I think I think all people want to do is just all think all people want to see is Brooklyn basketball. They want to see this team compete, at least try to give a F, right? And mm-hmm. um after that, you know, the, the cards are gonna fall where they may. If Karis Levert is out there averaging, I know I said 49, if he's averaging 26 points on somewhat decent efficiency, you're happy. If Joe Harris is hitting threes at a good rate, you're happy. If Jared Allen is averaging a double-double, you're happy. But there's not much you can ask for. We, I think more so you want to see Jacques Vaughn really manipulating this team to his will and going out there and executing his offense on one end and playing tough defensively. I think that's really what Nets fans are looking to see. Yeah, I think the the goal for them it would have to be obviously keep uh, remain in the playoff picture, but then trying to sure. avoid the Bucks in the first round. Like that's like the yeah. ceiling. Like, hey, if we play a Boston or a Toronto, maybe something happens. Who knows? But uh, Chris Chios is the the guy that I'm most interested in seeing in terms of offbeat names. Karis Levert, I love watching, but just looking at someone who maybe has a who isn't guaranteed a spot on this roster, but has a long term place. Just like you said, uh, he shot the three ball well, particularly from above the break this year. He's not the best finisher, uh, best finisher, or best defender, but he at least has a presence on that end. So I'm sure to see what he can do um, to your, since I had a question about Jacques Vaughn, you already answered it. You don't think that he's really going to coach uh, or won't be in a position to, to vie for the head coaching position for this team. Do you have a, any sense of what name you could see them looking at or, or what direction they'll go in that search once the season ends? Um, before I touch that, you you talked about uh, avoiding the Bucks. I don't think that the the Nets have a chance in hell at avoiding the Bucks. They got to play <laughs> the Magic twice. Magic only a half game behind. Magic gonna beat them into the ground twice. You got Aaron Gordon and Nikola Vucevic. Uh, I don't think they stand a chance. Uh, and the Magic just have an overall lighter a lighter schedule. I think just staying in the playoffs and not uh, losing in a play-in tournament to the Wizards without Bradley Beal or Davis Bertans is, is as much as the Nets fans can ask for, um, and not getting blown out by 50 in the first-round series by the Bucks. It will uh, be criminal if we get it, a play-in tournament in the East but not the West. That will be yeah, – oh, talk man. about backfire. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awful. I, that's not, I wouldn't even want to watch it, but I'd have to. But to get back to your point um, 
on who the Nets are going to hire as their head coach. I don't have a name, but I do know this. They're going to hire whoever Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving tell them to, right? And that's we don't know what's going on in their minds. I wish I could pick up the phone and dial Kyrie and ask him now, hey, who do you want to hire as head coach? And he go, hey, sure, I'll tell you whatever you want, but that's not how it works, you know. Yep. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure, and, and Sean Marks came out and said it the other day, we're going to take um, input from Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving very seriously, and as you have to. These are the guys that you have committed uh, what's this? One sixty-four and one forty-six, more than three hundred million dollars over the course of four years. Um, you're going to put them in the best position to succeed, and that means getting the voice that they want in there. Um, I don't know who that is. I don't know. Maybe they want Mark Jackson. Maybe they want. I don't know. Maybe Ty. Maybe maybe they want Tyron Lue. Maybe they want um, Greg Popovich. Is a name that I've seen come up more often than not, and wow. I really hope that that would be the way they go. Because if the Nets go get Greg Popovich and pry him from San Antonio. Um, that could be a, a three-peat or at least a repeat waiting to happen. Um, but I'm not sure. And that kind of ties into what it's been like covering this team for a season. There's just a mystery about them. It's a mystique. I mean, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are two guys who like to control the narrative as much as they can. And they do so by by using misdirection. They'll tell you one thing and then something else will come out. And it can be frustrating. But it's also like you understand because every day we see these guys say something and something else. And then a little bit of what they say gets twisted. It turns into a whole story. And nothing gets nothing is more frustrating for me as a reporter when I write something and someone else takes one sentence out of the entire thing that I wrote and turns it into a think piece about something else. So I understand in a way. Um, but at the same time, these guys have been particularly tight-lipped about a lot of things. Uh, Kevin Durant only speak, spoken to media twice. He spoke to media uh, during the presser, uh, during introductory day uh, press conference. And then he spoke to us uh Actually, big shout outs to him. He spoke to us not too long after Kobe died. Uh, Kyrie wasn't ready to speak, so Kevin spoke to us uh, instead. Um, but we haven't spoken to him in a while. We haven't spoken to Kyrie since he got hurt. Um, and it's just been tough. But to get back to your question, I have no sense of who the Nets are going to hire as their next head coach. I just know unequivocally that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to have a, a big voice in who that is. If the Spurs just decide to blow it up and then Greg Popovich ends up coaching elsewhere, that will be... I don't, I mean, it'd be amazing, but also it would feel weird. One of those, it's like seeing a player in a different Jersey, you know, see, like knowing that Hakeem Olajuwon played for the Raptors or something like that. Right. Where, it's almost like seeing Jason Kidd wear a Knicks Jersey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so getting into some specific players, where do you kind of land on Jared Allen right now? Because as you said, he was benched and I still think he was better than DeAndre Jordan overall this year, but there was like it felt stunted growth where it was, he didn't expand his offensive range. Deandre Jordan is the better passer. Allen is the more portable defender, but is he enough of a difference maker on the defensive end to where you wouldn't want to put um, Deandre Jordan on the floor, who in theory does kind of stack up against the, the stronger bigs better than, than Allen would. And so this is interesting because he is, I, I don't think he'll get one, but he is extension eligible this year. Correct. Because this was his third season, I believe. So yes. I, I don't think they give him one, but I'm just curious whether you still think he's part of their long-term plan. Uh, that's an interesting question. If you asked me that on draft night when the Knicks took Nick Claxton, I would have told you no, because Nick Claxton is a baller. He's a guy who I think he's gonna he's got a bright future in this league. You know, obviously he's got comparisons to Chris Bosh, um, but I, I think he's a guy who's going to be able to extend that range out to to reliably knock some threes down. He's he's got the size, he's got the athleticism, really jump out the gym. Um, but now when you get to see what happens now with DeAndre Jordan, we don't know. Again, we don't know what the implications of this coronavirus are. And now he's got it. We don't know what the future holds for him. Um, 
well wishes, prayers to him. But if we're talking about just basketball standpoint, um, I think Jared Allen is going to be one of the first guys out the door if the Nets have an opportunity to trade for a star. If you're going to get a guy like Bradley Beal, that deal is probably going to start with either Karis. It's going to start with three of Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Torian Prince, Jared Allen, and picks to infinity, right? That's what it's going to cost. And I think Jared Allen is the first. Well, Torian Prince is out the door and Jared Allen. Well, I mean, Torian Prince also now is Corona. Bro. We don't know. And that's just such a it's such a bummer. And I just feel for a lot of these guys who are tested positive for this thing because there's not enough information out there. Right. Because we don't know what this means. And we've the only thing that we've seen consistently from people who suffer from the coronavirus is what happens to your lungs. And lung capacity is the most important thing if you're for any pro athlete, not just basketball. So I feel for a lot of those guys. Shout out to the dog. Um but yeah, no, nah, Jaron Allen, um, really talented guy in in that. I, w- I wouldn't even. No, nah, he is talented. The way he can get up and down the floor, uh, his shot blocking last year, we saw him just get all types of blocks on so LeBron, on Giannis, and uh, Anthony Davis, Blake Griffin. We saw him block all these guys, and then to bring DeAndre Jordan in and really cause mayhem in the, at that starting center. Uh, I know Jaron Allen's not going to say it, but I, I'd be pissed off if I was him. You know, I, I'd be a little irked because this is a if. If you leave Jared Allen as the starter this year and he goes from playing 25 minutes last year to 31 minutes this year, you're going to see that natural uptick in numbers, which would have you know, helped his case to get a bigger extension because now he's going to be averaging, what, 14 points and 10 rebounds as opposed to what he's averaging now. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but this, this just goes to show you now that the Brooklyn belongs to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and that's generally why. Uh, DeAndre Drone was inserted into the starting line. And granted, the offense did started flowing, did start flowing a little bit better once you throw DeAndre in there. Um, DeAndre just has more experience being in different offenses and operating out of what he likes to call the hub, which is that area uh, just above the elbow where he can make decisions. Same place we like to see Al Horford, same place we like to see guys like Nikola Vucevic, all the great passers uh, at that center position. DeAndre Jordan, uh, he's one of them. I've seen him make some really, really good passes out that space. And when you're a team, uh, like the Nets, where everyone needs to touch the ball because you don't have Kyrie Irving and, Karis Le- and, Karis Le- Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant on the floor. Uh, it's important to have that passer out there at the center position, and, and Jared Allen doesn't provide that. But I, I still think that he is a premier center in this league from a rim protection standpoint. And it's going to be his job to remind us in Orlando the Nets need someone to play 30 minutes at that center position. They don't have, He doesn't have another option. So um, he's going to be put to the test. And we spoke to him not so long ago. He's ready for this opportunity. He's been he's been preparing for it. Um, and he has a chip on his shoulder. Like I said, he's a guy who was demoted from his starting position from a guy who couldn't get off the bench in the last two spots he was at uh, in, in Dallas and in, 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 in New York. So, um, you know, he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And uh, I, I personally want to see him go out there and ball because he's a good dude, man. Jared Allen's a guy. All he does is play basketball and play video games and grow his hair out. You know, uh, you don't want you don't want to root for another guy like that. So um, I, I really wish him the best. And uh, I think we're going to see a, I think we're going to see a side. We've got to see a different side. We've got to see a dominant Jared Allen. And that's got to be on both ends of the foot. We've got to see a guy dunking on people on one end and really don't really dunking on people on the other in terms of blocking them at the rim. And uh, I hope we see that out of him. I think we can see some of that out of him. That's something that I really haven't given a ton of consideration to that you touched on is the like financial futures of players who have contracts coming up who have contracted the coronavirus because of right. we don't know what the implications are. Uh, another player on the Nets who kind of factors into the same discussion, Karis LeVert. This seems right. like an opportunity for him just because he's going it alone now to solidify himself as part of the long-term future or at least 
up his trade value for them. And look, I know it was only a five-game sample size last year, but when the Sixers just decided to have Ben Simmons erase D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert <laughs> played really well. 21 points, three assists, 62 true shooting, and he shot the lights out on off-the-dribble threes. And so this, he might have... I don't, I don't want to say that he might actually have more at stake than any current rotation player. There are some guys who are kind of, yeah, they're still fighting to maybe make sure that they, they stick in the NBA. And then there's the Jared Allen element. You want to see um, if he can play himself into the long-term future. But if you're looking for a third star to go with Kyrie and Kevin Durant, Karis LeVert is the only internal solution that you potentially have. And so now that he's going at it without not only Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but you don't have Spencer Dinwiddie either, this seems like, a really big opportunity for him. And it also could end up being this pretty monstrous barometer for what the next at, for what the nets, excuse me, as currently constructed could look like. hundred percent. You know, I mean, just, this guy, Karis the Vert has cornrowed his hair. If there's any indication that he's ready to go off and score a hundred <laughs> points a game on people, that would be it. Um, I, I think people forget that right before we, we saw Karis the Vert play some incredible basketball in last year's playoffs. But right before he had that gruesome foot injury, uh, he was the Nets' best player. I know D'Angelo Russell got the nod for uh, for for the All Star replacement for Victor Oladipo last year, but Karis LeVert was the Nets' best player uh, before he suffered that that foot injury. Remember, he had that game winner. I believe they're playing Detroit. We had the game winning floater, and he just had so many different uh, games where he was just going off. And D'Angelo Russell was just like. The, the backup guy at that point. Obviously, I mean, he was starting, but he was not the number one on that team at that point. And then after Karis LeVert goes down, Spencer Dinwiddie starts taking over, and then yep. Spencer Dinwiddie gets hurt, and then D'Angelo Russell starts blossoming, and then you start seeing 20, 30, 30-point 30 games out of D'Angelo Russell. Um, Karis LeVert is ready for this opportunity. He's got he's put on some well, – he hasn't put on weight, but he's turned – his lean, his lean into into actual mass. You can see it. We saw it when we when we had a chance to have him on the Zoom call. He said his weight hasn't gone up too much, but he looks like a guy. He looks like he's grown up, like he's gotten older, like he's like his body has matured, and that's what you want to see. Um, and also, he's a guy who's also been on fire from three this year. I've just been, I've just been so happy for him just to see him take this step in his career because it's been difficult for him, especially bringing a guy like Kyrie Irving. I mean, obviously, Kyrie Irving is not a guy who is going to come in and absolutely destroy chemistry that you've got going on in a locker room. That's not the sense that I got. But he's a guy who requires the ball to be in his hands more often than not. And that's been a, a, a real growing pain for some of these players to figure out how they fit where they can fit around him. Um, Karis LeVert specifically has grown as a spot-up shooter. I think that cannot fall under the radar on a team where you've got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as guys who are going to be taking a lot of the shots. Karis LeVert has got to be able to, A, hit those open shots, and B, take people off the dribble when he can. And he can do both of them. Um, now the issue is on the defensive end. Is he going to be able to guard his man one-on-one? -on -one? I think that's uh, – we saw him, the size he put on is going to help him in that regard because we've seen him get moved around a little bit too much. Um, so I'm glad that he was able to, to kind of see put some mass on him. This is a very good opportunity for him. I can't I – and mean, he's excited for it as well from everything that we've got the chance to speak for him as well. He's going to be playing a lot of point guard. Uh, which he played this season a ton. Um, it, this is a, a good – a lot of the things that you say were spot on. This is an opportunity for him to either, A, boost his trade value or, B, you know, show that he's a guy who can stay in the, in Brooklyn as that number three guy alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Now, what do we need to see from him to be that number three? Um, well, what did we see from Chris Bosh in Toronto before he became the number three in, in Miami, right? He was an all-star caliber player. Uh, he could basically dominate a game to his will. I'm not sure Karis LeVert is there yet. Uh, he has the Orlando bubble to prove to us. 
Um, he's going to have to put up some good numbers, not just to prove that the, that he can be part of this Nets team moving forward, but also to prove that you know this is that he's going to be worthy of whatever is coming next. This is a guy who he signed a nice little three-year contract, but after that contract is over, he's going to be eligible for some type of max deal if his play warrants it. So this is a chance. This could be his coming out party, uh, or it could be a, okay, Paris Levert is what we, what we thought he is, which is good but not great. He's going to have to prove to us that he can take that leap from being good to great, and I think we can see it here in Orlando. Yeah, I think some of the things that I'll be watching for is I think it's really huge that he's shown he can hit off the dribble jumpers, and that's why you sort of forgive. He's had not only availability issues again this year, but some efficiency issues. Can he finish better around the rim? Can he get um, to the free throw line at a higher clip a little bit, particularly when he has this extra responsibility without any outlets? I'm actually more interested in – you already mentioned the the catch-and-shoot efficiency. That's going to be big if you want to play with Kyrie and KD. The other thing for me is, and, and you touched on it, is – is this increased strength going to translate to him being able to guard bigger wings? Because you're not, even before Kevin Durant was injured, that not, wasn't necessarily something you were going to have him do in the first place. And now that you're going to be more worried about him just getting back his offensive form, if you want to run out those Levert, KD, um, Irving lineups, you're going to need uh, Levert to defend wings. And I would think he's going to get a pretty good chance to guard some for the extent of the time the Nets are in the bubble. Because when you look at their roster, a lot of these lineups, they I feel like they could tilt towards the small ball end of the spectrum. And so, yeah, maybe he's their de facto point guard on offense, but he also might be the, you know, the the second or third biggest guy on the court just defensively. So that's something that I'm really interested to see if, if he can have a better hold on. Because as you mentioned already, he's been moved around a lot on the defensive end, where it's like he moves well, but can he can he hold his ground and can you count on him to you don't have to say lock up, but really just to hold his own in certain one on one situations. 100%. And another thing we're going to need to see from Karras, which we're going to see, we have no choice but to see, is has he grown as a decision maker? You know, we know he can pass the ball, but in terms of, of keeping the turnovers down and really making the best decision out of picking roles and making the best passes, uh, that's somewhere we need to see growth from Karras Levert as well, uh, especially in this extended period of time where he's going to have a lot of point guard responsibilities. Uh, I'm really interested to see in what he's able to do with that, how he's going to be able to initiate an offense. You know, when D'Angelo Russell was running the point guard last year, uh, a lot of the issues with him were trying to figure out when for him to keep the ball on his own and when to initiate the offense, right? You've got to get other players involved. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. And that was that took some time for D'Angelo Russell. But towards uh, the, the middle, latter end of the season, he started to get it. We started to see that growth. We're going to need to see that growth from Karis LeVert because he, he has a little bit of an and-one win in him. He has a little and one, and I got a chance to talk to his uh, his uh, high school coach actually for a sir, for a profile I did on him, and he goes, yeah, you know, Karis had a lot of and one, but I had to teach him D one for him to get into into Michigan where he went to school. And now is that going to come back out where he's got the green light all basically all game long? Are we going to see him coming up court and jacking up shots? Are we going to see him getting in the sets and initiating the offense and then taking the shot when the ball comes back to him? I think that's what we're going to have to see, and uh, I, I kind of want to see. I want to see what he looks like. Uh, with a complete green light, because if he can go out there and be a, I don't know, let's just call that modest. If he can be a, a guy who goes out there and gets you 22 and eight, 22 points and eight assists, is shooting the three ball 38%, making 45% of his shots all together, and get into the line, that's that that bodes well for him. So I'm, I'm, I really want to see what he's able to do from all areas. I'm glad we were able to touch on basically every area that we need to see from, see from him. Uh, before I ask you about the specific names that are attached to this line of thinking, the, the Nets have been linked to a search for a third star, uh, mainly by ESPN's Brian Windhurst, has mentioned it a few times now. 
Is consolidation into a third star the route that you think they should go? Is it the route they will ultimately go? Do you think that they should be waiting to see how this all comes together when you look at a potential Dinwiddie, Levert, Durant, Allen, uh, Irving, core? Is that worth them waiting to see how it fares in the beginning of next season? Or do you think they're going to act with more haste than that <clears throat> over the, the offseason? I think it depends on the third star. And I only think there's one third star that makes sense to blow it all up for. And that's Bradley Beal. If you can go get Bradley Beal, you do whatever you have to do to get Bradley Beal. You go take him on a tour of Brooklyn, take him to Pizza Supreme, go get him some oxtail, go do whatever <laughs> you've got to do to convince Bradley Beal that Brooklyn is the place to be. Because if you can get a core of Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, and then you can get those guys to re-sign after this three to four year turn so you've got this window now and then you can convince those guys to re-sign for another turn you've got a dynasty in brooklyn that could last you could you could theoretically win if you keep kevin durant kyrie irving and bradley bill together for call it six years you could win at least three championships with that core right so if you can go get bradley bill you do that now if there's other names out there like i don't know if you're talking about kevin love no you don't want kevin love I don't, I don't even know who else is available out there for trade. Like, if you're going to get Blake Griffin, maybe. Maybe they want Blake Griffin and you put together a, a trade for that. But even Blake Griffin, we've seen him on the decline. What position do you put him at? You put him at the four. You can't put him at the five. Now you've got, oh, well, I mean, there it is. You could bring DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin back together. Now you've got Lob City <laughs> in Brooklyn. Wow. Look at that. Just came together with an idea on the podcast. Shout out to, shout out to this podcast. Um, but, yeah, I think it largely depends on who that third star is. I also don't think the Nets have enough uh, cap. Well, maybe they do have enough contracts to absorb Blake Griffin's contract, but that guy's making a lot of money. Um, I, but to, to wrap it all up, I, I, I think that Bradley Beal is realistically the only guy, and maybe Blake Griffin. You know, if you've got Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, uh, and a shooter on the floor, sure, and you keep you somehow keep Karis LeVert and all of that, I think that's as, as dope as a lineup as you can get. But if you also have a chance to trot out Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, and uh, Kevin Durant for the next six years, um, you do whatever it is that you can to do that. I would definitely fall on the opposite end of the Blake Griffin spectrum. I wouldn't want to see him if I were the Nets anywhere near <laughs> this team. Uh, the Bradley Beal stuff is interesting because, I one, I do think the Nets can build more interesting trade packages than people give them credit for just because Levert and Dinwiddie are already good salary fillers, but they actually don't make that much money in the grand scheme of things. You also Correct. have Jared Allen, and you can trade distant picks. I go back and forth on Beal because when you don't know what Kevin Durant's going to be, uh, specifically looking at what type of a shot creator is he going to be when he gets back. We know that he can shoot over anybody, but is he going to kind of just have that same well, really wiggle or, or burst to him? We, we don't know. It'd be great to have Bradley Beal, but then I'm like, well, if you have to give up Levert and Jared Allen in that scenario, what really happens to your defense if you're having Beal, Durant, and, and Kyrie Irving together on the floor? The flip side of that argument is, you know, Levert or specifically Allen and Dinwiddie are going to need to be paid again very soon. Uh, Dinwiddie could be a free agent in 2021, and Allen is already going to be extension eligible RFA in 2021. So if you're going to make large investments, why not consolidate that into a star? So I'm I'm kind of like indifferent to the Beal thing, but I think where you really hit it is it has to be the right third star. And for me, I don't know if Bradley Beal is that. It also seems like the actual ideal third star for them is not really available because it feels like it should be someone who plays the, you know, as a combo wing, plays the three, four, and then as a real, in addition to, you know, being able to create his own shot or play within the flow of an offense as well, he's also a defensive difference maker. And that player just really isn't available. You can look lower end of the spectrum. Uh, does Aaron Gordon become available in Orlando? I think he ends up being a good fit for this roster, but you're not giving up the farm for for someone like him. And so that's the predicament that I think they find themselves in most is 
I, I get, I think I would just tilt toward where you are, go get Bradley Beal if you can at whatever it costs, but it, there still seems to be a level of combustibility there. And then the larger problem is just the third star that would be the quintessential fit for them. He's not available right now. And I can't even identify someone who would become available along those lines. Yeah. To me, it sounds like you're, you're talking about Paul George or a guy of that Paul George ilk who can really defend uh space the floor, hit spot up threes and then create uh, on the fly if, if anybody is out. Um, but I think Bradley Bill and and to be to be fair to Kyrie, I think Kyrie gets a gets a bad rep as a defender. I, I think that he defends uh, at a decent rate when and it's just not consistent enough. And I think that's the thing. But when he's really locked into some of the games, I've seen him make some really good defensive plays, and it's like, whoa! I didn't know he could do that. Can he do that consistently? Is uh, is what we need to see. And we saw him locking in the NBA Finals against Steph Curry. You know, we we've seen it happen. Um, Kevin Durant, we saw him be a, an elite defender in Golden State. He, he arguably changed what they were able to do defensively right. just by virtue of having him out there, being able to switch so often. Again, having him, even putting him at the center, he, he's a better rim protector than a lot of people gave him credit for. But now him coming off an Achilles, we don't know. Yep. And that factors into a lot of the uncertainty in Brooklyn. Like We don't know what Kevin Durant is going to look like. But I'll tell you this, I've seen the guy work out. I've seen him move. I've seen him run. Uh, and one day they, they brought, uh, I don't know who it was. They were throwing a football, had Kevin Durant running routes at, at the uh, HSS training facility, and he looked good. Um, it may have been in, no, it wasn't March. It may have been November uh, or December, but I saw him shooting turnaround fadeaway jump shots, and he was just getting full lift off the ground. And if that's how he was before the calendar turn, then what is he at now? Um, I'm excited to see what he looks like. I think he's going to shock a lot of people. I think he's going to look really, really good. And we also have to consider this isn't a guy whose game was predicated on jumping out of the gym in the first place. This right. is a guy who's a sniper uh, who can just take you off the dribble and pull up. Now, at, on the flip side, he didn't get injured on a super athletic play either. He got injured making a regular basketball move, and that's the scary part. Um, so I think that there's a lot of uncertainty. But even with all that uncertainty in Kevin Durant, you know, it, what more of a reason to go get a third star than, okay, we don't know how star number one is going to fare, so let's go get another one just in case we can't play Kevin Durant 35 minutes a game yep. uh, in year three or in year two. Um, we saw what happened last year with the Raptors. They load-managed Kawhi Leonard, mm -hmm. and they saved him, and they had enough players around them to where that team's record without him was incredible. Um, that's what the Nets need to do. They need to put a team together where their record would be great without Kevin Durant on the floor, um, and I think if you add, you put Kyrie Irving and Bradley Beal, and you somehow keep Karis LeVert on that team, then uh, I, I think you'll be just fine. And they're obligated to act in haste, just because we don't know what Kevin Durant's going to look like, but you signed him and Kyrie Irving, and they have player options on their fourth year, so you're down to a two-year guaranteed window now, and you have to act with that urgency. A name that, I don't know if he'll become available, you have to deal with his next contract, and then he will, of course, you know, he's working his way back from his own injury, but Victor Oladipo seems like he might Ooh. bridge the two gaps, you know, when I'm, I'm worried about Beal's defense, uh, but then also you want someone who could defend some wings. He's not the biggest, but you could get away with him defending one through three. He might be an interesting fit for this roster, again, if he's healthy and available. Right. I didn't even think about that. Victor Oladipo. The Pacers, man, they need to do what they can. I, I'm just going to talk about the Pacers really quickly. Pacers are an incredible franchise. I just wish they'd get a star to commit to them for life, right? It's a guy, they, first they get spurned by Paul George. Now they're probably going to get spurned by Victor Oladipo. I hope he resigns there um, just because I think the NBA is a great place when the Pacers are, are competitive. Look at them now. Look at them last year. Or was it, was it last year or the year before that? When uh, they, I think it was the year before that when they really 
when they took LeBron to a seven game series and they almost when they should have won, arguably Victor Oladipo hit that game winner and they yep. ruled it off. Um, that was a really that was a fun series and I enjoy watching Pacers basketball when they're good. Um, and Victor Oladipo is a guy who plays into that. Would he be a great net? Um, yeah, sure. I don't think he's a guy <laughs> you want taking thirty shots a game, but I'd love for him to get. 10 to 12 or 14 shots after Kyrie and Kevin Durant get theirs. Like he's a guy. I didn't think about that. That's a great, think of that. that's a great, that's a great idea. Um, how would he, he'd fit great. He could be a spot up shooter. You could leave him in the game. I think the Nets are going to have to find those rotations where they stagger their stars. So you need one guy on the court at all times. So he's a guy that you could have run the offense through um, while Kevin Durant and Kyrie are taking a break. You can play him in pick and roll situations. You could play him off the ball. Victor Oliva would be a great get. Um, and I think he'd come at a lower price tag than than Bradley Beal as well. If yeah, just with the injury history and impending free agency, yeah. I was thinking with, with the injury history, with the pending free agency, and just I think the overall value. If all things were equal, if they were both equally healthy, I think more people, I think people would be would be would give up more generally for Beal than they would for Oladipo. But I could be wrong. Um, yeah, no, nah, that's a, that'd be a great fit. It probably also helps too, that if Indiana was moving on a depot, they're not a team that's looking to hit the full restart button. And so someone like Karis Levert particularly, and even Spencer Dinwiddie are a lot more attractive to a team like that. That's still trying to compete. Oladipo and Kevin Durant also have that PG County tie. They're both from the same, they're both from the same area. Um, then that'd be interesting. You know, maybe you should give, you should give Sean Marks a call and float that by him. That might be one that works. <laughs> Um, I have just a couple questions before I get you out of here. Uh, what is there? So aside from just moving from beyond the third star stuff, they're not going to have cap space this summer. They will have the non uh, they will have the taxpayers mid level exception. Excuse me. What is the the biggest need for this roster? I think consistently it's just been identified as just a four who can stretch <laughs> the floor. Is that is that the biggest need for them? Absolutely. You know, it's 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 not just this year. It's last year too. Last year they. they <laughs> <laughs> it's they, they they didn't really address as they hope. See, here's what happened: the Nets hoped that Torian Prince would be the guy, and uh, unfortunately, I've, I've kind of had this conversation with Torian Prince, but not full on. Uh, he just hasn't been consistent enough, and he acknowledges that he's acknowledged that on on a number of occasions. Um, this is a guy who shot 39 percent from three last year, but is shooting 34 percent this year. It's also always an adventure three, when he decides to work off the dribble. You just don't man, know what's oh, going to happen. Man, I'm glad you said it, and I didn't because that guy, man, he's a guy. Well, the first and and a source, I'm not even going to put him out there, a source told me that uh, before, you know, I was the guy who was like, I was like, oh, yes, we got the Nets got Torian Prince. He's the answer to all their their woes at the four. Source DMs me on Twitter, and he's like, hey, man, I wouldn't get too excited about this. The guy thinks he's Kobe. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, just watch, man. The guy thinks he's Kobe. Three games in, I hit him back like, man, you are correct. <laughs> I've seen Torian Prince shoot sidestep threes. I've seen him shoot turnaround fadeaway jump shots. And one thing I have not seen is him consistently stay his ass in the corner and hit a corner three. Right. Um, great dude, though. Not even going to hold you. One of the one, he's just a completely humble guy, uh, real, real down to earth. Enjoy just talking to him, being around him. Just turns into, I, I, I wouldn't call him Kobe on the floor, but he just like opens his game up beyond what the Nets need. And uh, I think that's the area that Sean Marks and, and company really need to target uh, in free agency. They need to get somebody who's going to have size who's going to be able to knock down that corner three, that three-point shot consistently, um, that knows their game. And that's really what 
they I think it's free agency. It's bigger than that. It's just the theme for this team going forward is just really identifying roles and making sure players understand that and are comfortable with that role mm-hmm. and are not trying to do more than they're capable or, or do more than what is required. When you've got guys like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, the last thing what you need on the roster is someone else who's trying to be another star. If you're bringing in another star, that's one thing. If you're turning Karis LeVert into that third star, that's another thing. You can't have a guy out there trying to assert himself as more than what he is on a team that already has a pecking order established of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, whoever else, right? So the, the, the Nets need more guys. Like one guy that I think is a perfect fit after this two-year contract is going to get an extension is Garrett Temple. Garrett Temple's a guy that he's going to go out there, play defense, shoot open threes, and make the play that's necessary. The, the Nets need more guys like that. So yes, they need a four. Um, I think an ideal four that they're probably not going to be able to get is a guy like I mean, and it depends. Some guys are saying Serge Ibaka would be a good fit. I think Serge Ibaka is a little bit past his prime in terms of defending. He also seems like positions. he needs like a certain amount of shots per game to be effective. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think that's a guy. But I look at guys like Dallas has a guy in, uh, who is it? Dorian Finney-Smith that I really like that I think would be a really good fit at that combo four position. You can guard multiple positions. You can space the floor. They need guys like that, guys who can really space the floor out. I'm not sure there's an there's an answer out there for them in free agency. I'm hoping there is. I haven't, you know, to, to my discredit, I haven't done enough uh, research on this year's upcoming free agent class. I'm hoping there's a four out there that they can be able to get. I think a guy like maybe a, I think Jermichael Green is a discount version of the guy they need to have. They need to have a guy who can play gritty defense, who can shoot threes, who can make the right pass, who can get up and down the floor. Uh, I'm not sure if that guy is out there for them. Uh, maybe next time you bring me on the podcast, I'll have a, a, a laundry list of guys they should get. But hey, last night I spent I spent all of last night looking at free agents and the best I could come the up current with, free agents, which is yeah, a lot the best rougher. I could come up with was Deontay Davis, uh, Tim Frazier, Iman Shumpert, and Justin Anderson. So. Uh, that's about it. But yeah, to answer your question, they need a an answer at that four spot, and they need more guys who know their role. Uh, wings who don't want to do more than what is asked for of them, which is shoot threes and play defense and run up and down the floor. Um, they also going to need a backup point guard because if you know anything, it's that Kyrie Irving is not durable. So they need some other guy, uh, preferably a veteran who can go in there, fill in 15 to 20 minutes a night if needed. Um, and then it also depends on what they do. If they trade Spencer Dinwiddie, you're going to need an actual backup point guard who can go out there and produce, not just someone who's going to go out there and run the show. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I think a lot of what they do in free agency will, will really be determined by what they do in the trade market as well, because the Nets free agency, if they have Beal, will look a lot different than the Nets free agency if they don't. Yeah, I had four names penciled in for them. You mentioned one of them, Jermichael Green, if he declines his player option. Uh, this one's more so pie in the sky, but if he's if he views the Nets as a spot where he can win a ring and the market is just so soft, my guess would be he gets more than the, than the taxpayers mid-level. But if the market's just so soft and he wants to go somewhere where he thinks he's a better chance at winning a ring, I don't know if that's Brooklyn, but that can also guarantee him a, sp- a starting spot. That would be Brooklyn. Paul Millsap would be a sure. way better fit than sure. Serge Ibaka. And then this sure. one is more of a trade target, but if Chicago decides to unload Otto Porter Jr., I don't know that you would have to give up like a ton of value for him. It would be a matter of maybe matching salaries and Torian Prince gives you a start. Can you then get there without having to give up? I would say I wouldn't want to give up. Maybe you're willing to give up Spencer Dinwiddie in that. I wouldn't be. You're definitely not willing to give up Karras, but that would be a name if Chicago with its new front office regime is looking to to, to sell off some guys and maybe cut some salary. He might be a name. And look, we have to come full circle. The Nets are just bringing all these guys in that they signed a monster restricted free agency offer sheets. They have Tyler Johnson now. They already had Alan Crabb. You got to bring in 
uh, Otto Porter next. <laughs> That's that is fair. I've seen a lot of people talk about bringing Melo into Brooklyn. Um, I, I'm Maurice Harkless sure maybe was another name that sprang to mind. Yeah, I think Mo Harkless would be a great fit, hometown guy. Um, and then he's he's in New York right now. Would he also come across the, the water inside? I think he'd be a great fit in, in Brooklyn. To be honest, they need guys that are going to be able to get up and down, hit those threes, and play some defense and defend multiple positions. Again, I don't think you need a guy that's tall that that really that's like bulky that fits the the, the mold of what you expect a power forward to be. But you need a guy that's versatile who could defend two through four at least, and maybe Shadow and Cameo as a five. Um, but I'm not sure. We had we had Timothee Luau Cabarro here talking about he's never played the five in his life, but he might have to do so in Orlando. And uh, that's where right. we are. So uh, I, I think I think I'm I'm generally uh, I generally trust Sean Marks and what he's been able to do. I mean look look at what he's done with the Nets from when he took over to now. If you asked me a couple years ago if I thought the Nets would have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I would have laughed in your face. Now look at them. They've got both of them and now they've got They've got they've got good problems, not bad, and uh, I I think that uh, that Sean Marks is going to figure it out for sure. And Harkless is probably the most realistic of any of the candidates we named, just in terms of the price point. And then the one question would be, can he hit enough of those threes? And you would think with if you again if you have the same other players around him, Kyrie Durant, even Levert and Dimwitty, you're going to create high enough quality looks that he should. But that would be the one wild card with him. My final question for you, and it, it is kind of a loaded one, and one of these guys is a free agent, so maybe it's an easy answer, but who's most likely to be on a different team next season? Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, or Jared Allen? Oh, that is tough. Um, <clears throat> my, my general sense is that the Nets are going to do whatever they can to protect Karis LeVert from being traded. I think everyone in the organization, from players to coaches to, to executives, uh, value Karis a lot higher than they do a lot of these other players. And for that reason, a lot of teams are going to say, no, trade start with Karis, right? If you're, if you're the Wizards, you'd be foolish to not ask or demand Karis LeBron right. in any deal for Bradley Beal. That being said, um, I think the Nets are going to try their hardest to keep him. And for that reason, um, I, I, it's tough. I don't think you, I think you bring back Joe Harris if you can. The Nets have already said they know they're going to be a taxpaying team, so I think they try and do whatever they can to try to bring back Joe Harris. He's a major um, loss if he goes. To, he fits yeah. within any team, and he at least competes on the defensive end. Exactly, exactly. Um, I think it's a toss-up between Jared Allen and Spencer Dinwiddie. To be honest, I think if one of them go, they both go. So I point. think that we're getting a, a package deal of Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen. I think it's inevitable, um, and uh, I think they're going to have to do that if they're bringing in another player. So uh, that would be my guess. I think the Nets protect Harris from any trade. And they do that by throwing draft picks to infinity. Here, take whatever you want. Um, I think they bring back Joe Harris. Um, I think Torian Prince. I think that the Nets are going to start if they make an offer with another team. I think that offer starts Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe ha- uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Torian Prince, and two picks. And uh, I think that's the, I think that's the starting point for any trade. And they work from there. Just that enough to get you Bradley Beal? I highly doubt it. Um, so then you start throwing in extra picks. You might have to throw in Nick Claxton, who I don't want to see go. Um, but Again, the Nets are in a, the Nets are in such a position to where you don't necessarily have to go get that third star. You you theoretically right. have two different starting lineups in there, especially if you go out there and get you a, a starting four next season and you keep Torian Prince. You could have Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant starting for DeAndre Jordan as your starting lineup, and then still bring Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Levert, Garrett Temple. Torian Prince and Jared Allen off the bench. I don't. I'm not sure if you can name another team with a deeper starting ten than that. And then you've still got Nick Claxton, who I think is a star. I wouldn't say a star. He's definitely a a player in this league in the making. He'll probably have a long career in this league. 
Um, you still got him. And then you still have this one. No, they might lose this series pick uh, depending on whether they make the playoffs or not. Uh, I think the Nets could – They there's two different – the Nets are at a crossroads. I've written, I've written about this before. They could either go all in on, on star power or they could have two versions of one team on the floor at any given moment. And uh, like I said, these are, these are rich people problems for Brooklyn. They, they're in the driver's seat. Uh, well, Christian, thank you for giving me so much of your time as always. I, I really appreciate <laughs> it. I, I'm of the mind too that it, I think ideally you would see what – Lavert, Dinwiddie, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving look like, but the fact that you didn't see any of it this year might work against them just because they're they're operating with this with this finite window. But hundred uh, percent. Uh, also, before I go, I uh, open these these sneakers. Oh, here we go. These are Adidas Salvation. I think they call Adidas Salvation sneakers. Uh, I got these because Mike Sykes had or had uh, posted them on his Twitter, and they look pretty clean. And now I'm looking at them in person. Um, just some context. These cost $180, so they were a little bit more on the expensive side. I'm not sure they looked like $180 sneakers, but these are sneakers I could definitely see myself wearing occasionally. Um, they're pretty cool. I think I'll wear. I'll rock them a couple times. Um, yeah, no, these are these are all right. They're not like they're keepers. Yeah, I mean, if I had to attach them in a trade for Bradley Beal, they could go too. <laughs> but uh, no, nah, they they're, they're pretty good. They're not. I, th- I think they now. I just ordered, let's see what this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This is the seventh pair of sneakers I probably ordered in a two-month span. Um, and I have pair number eight coming tomorrow. So I think these make the top five of my top of my eight. But well, they is, probably make top four. I think they make it into the top four. But uh, I've got, I think I'm going to power rank all my new sneakers when I get some chance. That's, that'll be fun. They're based, so they're basically this season's Brooklyn Nets. Like just directly in the middle. Yeah, they are this season's Brooklyn Nets. That's exactly how I put them. Well, Christian, again, thank you so much for giving me a ton of your time. As always, if you guys are not following Christian on Twitter, please change that immediately. He's at Chrisplashed at K R I S P L A S H E D. Covers the Nets and the NBA at large for the New York Daily News, as we mentioned at the top. Uh, Christian, again, thank you so much. And I think you can guarantee, as you know by now, that I'll be pestering you again in the future. (laughs) You can guarantee I'll be on. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal, soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire.